Welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Our guest this week is chef and forager Mia Wasilevich. Mia is the founder of Transitional Gastronomy and teaches culinary workshops, wild food identification, and food styling. She was a featured consultant on MasterChef and Top Chef. She is also the author of a brand new book, Ugly Little Greens, Gourmet Dishes Crafted from Foraged Ingredients. Before we get to the discussion, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers, Dan F., Heather E., Lynn G., K., Erica R., Kelton M., Nicholas H., and Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W. and Dutch Girl. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And now, our conversation with Mia. Mia, uh, congratulations on the new book. And uh, we were wondering what your background is, actually. How did you get started cooking? Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, glad that it's out, glad that it's done. How I got started in this. I've always, I've mentioned this in, in my book and several to several friends. How I got started cooking is always, always that kid that was always cooking in the kitchen. My parents, unfortunately, were not foodies or the best cook so my brother and I kind of took to it and I'd be that kid in in high school and college where if my friends parents had people over and they couldn't cook they would say can you like ghost cook this dinner for our friends and I'd be like sure and so that kind of grew and grew and I've always been kind of cooking on the side for people um, for their entertainment needs kind of throughout my adult life and then you know, at the time, I got spit out from college into the entertainment industry, into the corporate world, and I met Pascal, and he was obviously into the ethnobotany, the nature, the foraging. I had foraged a little bit before, and I traveled extensively, and I know so many other cultures don't forage. They just call it food. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we decided to combine the two, and it kind of just took off from there, and we kind of developed our own, his own, he developed his own style with it. I developed my own style with it, and I don't really consider it foraging, or, or it's just another food source to me, another interesting food source. Now, tell us about the plants that you decided to focus on in your book, which, by the way, is called Ugly Little Greens. I focus, this book is almost entirely focused on invasives. There's a couple of natives in there, some acorns and elderberries, but I advocate propagating your own as well. Uh, But mainly, I wanted to focus on invasives, stuff that you actually, like I can't, at least in Los Angeles, I can't throw a nickel without hitting a piece of purslane or some mallow, or it's just so, these weeds are so abundant where we live. And as I did my research, I found out they're abundant everywhere. And as I was talking to my friends in Australia and England and all different places, they're available in India even, they're available worldwide. So I just wanted to make a really easy, easy to understand book with simple ingredients that are basically weeds that anybody, you know, cooks of any level can kind of address. And it's not necessarily that they're specific to the weeds that like specific to purslane. You could sub in and out. I just wanted to give people ideas because people are always asking me, what else can I do with nettles? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. So it was kind of what do I like to eat? What's easy to make? And 
now I, when people ask me that, I can just say, go buy the book. <laughs> you can have 10 recipes for nettles. I think that is, um, yeah, one of the great strengths of the book is that it tells you what to do with these common weeds. Like when, when a lot of us learn foraging, some of the first things we'll, we'll learn, especially if we're in an urban setting, are the invasives. They're the easy ones. They're the ones that are in your yard, on the sidewalk, uh, in the public park. You know, you see them everywhere. And those are the ones you learn to identify first in classes and with friends. And, but the question always comes, like, what do we do with them? Uh, and, right. Um, Everybody has that one dish. Everyone has that one dish that they make. Like, yeah. oh, my famous nettle soup or something Yeah. Like everybody that. makes their nettle soup or they dry their nettles for tea later. You know, um, there's there's the mixed green salad. Everybody right. does. I went out and I foraged a salad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, you know, it, it, there is that there's sort of a seems like sort of like sort of a cap on inspiration at a certain point. And, and that's what's so wonderful about your book is that, you know, you, you, the book is just, uh, you people listening have to see it um, to understand what I'm saying. But um, these are gorgeous dishes. These are like top flight haute cuisine, uh, you know, uh, uh, done with a view to aesthetics as well as flavor. Uh, and the and these simple weeds, you know, are the backbones of these dishes. And it's it's amazing. It's it's really an accomplishment, Mia. So we oh, we wanted to you. say congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I just want to say, though, a couple of my friends who've tested out the book and tested out the recipes, every single one of them is like, by George, these are really easy. <laughs> they look so, intimidating because they're so yeah. pretty. You're like, oh, I can't make nothing that pretty. <laughs> I can only make quesadillas. <laughs> hey, quesadillas are awesome. But they're they're actually really, really easy. It's just, you know, that's the way that I cook and I eat as well. I mean, you can make it look beautiful. I think you eat with your eyes too, but, and that's half the fun, but, um, they're, the recipes are like really simple. Some of them are, I, I made note of the ones I was like, Oh, that's, that's easy. I could do that. Like, like, um, the mustard moccolini. Yeah. That's a fun one for kids. Do you want to that's, describe that one? Yeah. When, when all the, um, mustard and radish that pops up, Fairly everywhere here. Before they go to flower, they kind of go, bunch up into little. I don't know what are those called? Little pods Buds or yeah, little florets. Yeah. It looks like tiny, tiny baby broccoli florets. Yeah, and there's so many of them. But if you just nip off a few of those buds, you can steam them or saute them exact, and they taste exactly like broccoli. So you can make tiny broccoli. So it's kind of fun for kids to eat miniature broccoli. <laughs> and you're just, and you're sauteing those and then you're tossing them with sultanas and almonds. Yeah, you're going to just saute them with a little bit of garlic and olive oil and salt and maybe a squeeze of lemon and then just toss in some sultanas for sweetness and some toasted almonds for crunch. And mm. it, I think it's a lovely a lovely little, you can even do that with your backpacking, you know, or camping trip. Right. Now, do the, do the black mustard uh, buds taste any different from the wide leaf? I don't know. Is that hoary mustard? Is that its name? Hoary, Mediterranean, yeah, the, common. Yeah. yeah, it does. The the common, we'll just call it common mustard and radish. They, they just taste like broccoli, but the black mustard, yeah, that's a kapow for sure. That's mm -hmm. like taking a mouthful of wasabi. The flowers are spicy. The stems are spicy. The leaves are spicy. And I love black mustard leaves. And they only come up for like a month or so, but that is my favorite sandwich. I, I know it sounds uh -huh. crazy, but oh, no. just to thinly slice 
you know, julienne, the mustard leaves, put them between toast with mayo. I know that sounds plain. No, but no, so good. no, actually, because that's like wasabi mayonnaise. That's yeah. what you've got there. It's, yeah, I love black mustard leaves. You don't see the black mustard as often as you see the common mustard. But no, when I do, don't. I always run up and nibble on it wherever it is, you know, it's great. You can generally tell because the, it, it grows a little bit larger than the common mustard, taller than the common mustard, but also the leaves are more corrugated like alligator leaves, mm. whereas the common or hoary mustard, they're more furry, yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah. yeah. Any other entry kind of entry-level recipes in the book that you'd recommend that people get started with? Well, yes. I just uh, taught a couple workshops because it was elderflower season and they're just everywhere. Mm. Um, one of the things that I guess, I always take it as a compliment to how simple the things are in there when people are like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. That's so stupid simple. And I take that as a compliment, actually, because that's the whole point of inspiration is to take something common and simple and transform it into something you can use. And a great example of that is I always make a big batch of elderflower ghee. That is just basically making ghee, or you can just not make the ghee and just melt the butter, mm -hmm. um, just infusing fresh elderflowers in warm butter. That is it. Mm. Leave it in there for four or five days and then render it off, strain it. That oh. is, I've gotten so many notes since my book came out. Oh, I made elderflower shortbread. I made elderflower cheesecake. I made, you know, you name it, whatever. You, I, I poached lobster in them for one of my classes. It's just the most incredible, delicate flavor. And it's something you can use for everything. And people are like, bye, George. I can't believe I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. That's a really good, easy one. Wow. You, yeah, just, mm. just to making elderflower butter. I mean, doesn't that just sound beautiful? Just elderflower yeah. butter. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do you, can you put in the whole the flower with the stems still attached since you're straining it all anyway or do you still have to pick all the little flowers off you know because i'm putting it into a warm i would take all the stems off yeah I mean, oh yeah because you have could some, yeah yeah i have some friends who are german who my friend sue she's german and she puts the stems in there she's like my family's you know been doing that for generations in germany but i just think from a food safe, safety standpoint uh -huh. those are a bit toxic and take the time to like <laughs> that's why I do it in a class format because then I have all the workers to pick off the leaves and, and the pollen. <laughs> and so it makes quick, you know, light work of it. But yeah, I would remove the stems yeah. and, you know, just to be safe about it. That makes good sense. Another one that caught my eye was the uh, nettle aid, which looked very, not, not very complicated to do. No, it's actually my favorite, favorite drink. If you're into foraging, you're probably into preserving as well or into roots simply kind of things. And you might have, as we always have, some preserved lemons on hand. I can't think of one summer that goes by where people aren't giving us like crates of Meyer lemons or whatever. And, you know, you can't use them all. So a great way to, to keep them is to preserve them in salt. And I was inspired by, I actually went with a couple friends to a Vietnamese restaurant and they have a drink where they, they preserve lemons or limes until they're black. And then they put it in the bottom of a, a glass, muddle it with ice, put some simple syrup and fill it up with soda. And I was like, Hmm, I don't know how that's going to taste, but it, it was, delicious. It was salty, sweet, sour. It was so yummy. So I thought, hmm, that would go really well with nettles. And then you're getting your vitamin C, all the nutrients from the nettles. I was like, I'm going to try that. And it, it really works. I like that a lot. Oh, so that's um, just, uh, that's a strong nettle tea. 
uh, mixed with soda water, and then that's poured over. That those are poured over a base of muddled, uh, muddled preserved lemon and some honey, right? So right. You or you can use agave or whatever yeah. sweetener that you like. That's just happened to be. We have a lot of friends who have bees, so <laughs> um, I love the idea of doing that with the uh, you know because we you know we drink nettle like cold nettle tea in the summer and you know and hot nettle tea drink sometimes but sometimes it just gets boring <laughs> you know and so now all of a sudden it's like oh my god I never even thought of mixing it with soda water it's like simple but oh yeah that's exactly. gonna be exciting if I ever write another book I'm gonna I have to call it like. So simple, it's stupid. I don't know. <laughs> was, was there an overall philosophy with the recipes? Because, you know, the, the thing about this book that's different than a lot of other foraged sort of books is that a lot of those books have kind of a survivalist tinge to them. Like, you know, I'm going to just take some nettles and mix it with some pre-made muffin mix and call it a day kind of thing. And <laughs> was there think- a philosophy in kind of what, what you in, in the way that you developed the recipes in this book? You know, I think that was true maybe a couple of years ago, but there are so many, you know, our little foraging, wildcrafting community is kind of small and we all know each other. Some of the books that people are coming out with right now, like Lita Meredith and, you know, Pascal's book, and there, there's a, there's quite a few, you know, um, Marie Philjean from New York. There's, there's a lot of amazing foraged books out there. So I don't think that's mm-hmm. so true anymore. But for this book, this um, what happens is every season when I entertain or I have clients or whatever, I I really have to develop a menu. <laughs> it's it's like being on Chopped, I always say. Here's your basket of mystery foraged ingredients. Here's cactus and an acorn. Roll with it. <laughs> so, you know, that actually has happened to me before. So I take those ingredients and I, I have to make a menu on the fly. So when I wrote this book, it was last year in the height of the last of the six years of drought. (laughs) So it was actually very, very difficult for me to even source any of that. Yes. So it was like I was treating these foraged goods as though they were gold and very Mm -hmm. special and like special occasion ingredients at the time I was writing it because they were. It was, we had just such a terrible drought and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, usually you can't keep mallow out of your yard, but for some reason, last year it was like the mallow said i'm out yeah um, i had noticed that i mean i mean maybe more for more than it was certainly last year and maybe the year before i was like there's just no more mallow it's the water right yeah, yeah. just they, now it's back in spades, spades, back, but, yeah but yeah. at the time i was so that that was my philosophy was like oh my god but also, also my philosophy is i don't know if you noticed there's a lot of foreign influence in the book because I've traveled so much as a kid and I have favorite recipes either from my own family which has kind of a multicultural background and from my travels so I wanted to reflect the fact that you know other people eat these weeds too and and that's the interesting part of it I mean especially like everywhere India China I I can't our neighbors are Armenian and they're Mm -hmm. like oh yeah we forage this and this is what here's how we eat it and so I have an homage to every neighborhood that I've ever lived in you know or places that I had traveled or my own family kind of just to incorporate the fact that it is a it's a food source and and but it was special to me at the time because it was so darn hard to forage that stuff (laughs) last year if I only 
written the book this year when it was just so abundant. Well, speaking of that, uh, it, it we're moving into summer now, and some of the things in the book are, are on the way out. They're probably still a lot around, but uh, well, you're in Southern California. Yeah, Southern California. Our, our seasons are this very a, accelerated right. down here in the Midwest and stuff. I'm sure all of that's still still abundant. going. Yeah, but They're, we're moving more into well, we're into elderflowers and. We're going to move forward to acorns, yeah, seeds so, and nuts. Yeah. yeah. What, what grain are you doing? Season. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what are you doing right now? And then later in the summer, what will you be cooking around your house? Well, I didn't include currants in the book because they're just not available unless you plant them. Um, I mean, they're all over here. It's so invasive. Uh, so I didn't include that in the book because, you know, maybe next if, if I do one s- focusing specifically on California. But right now I am going to, I'm doing a whole lot of things with wild currants. It becomes, and, and this is the time of the year when you have to start washing out all of your jars and getting out your, you know, preserving equipment because this is, we're going into preserving season. So I'm going to be preserving, drying, canning, jamming as much wild currants and elderberries and acorns, you know, that are sustainable. And we have a friend who has a farm uh, near Lancaster and, you know, she lets us forage on her. We have, we have a couple places where, you know, they take care of their property and, and water them that we can forage. But um, yeah, so we're moving into berries, seeds. So mustard seeds, that's a huge, important kind of gathering crop for us because we you can use that in so many different ways um the all of the things i'm going to preserve with the berries will end up in sweet and savory preparations one of the recipes in my book i love to do with dried elderberries is elderberry pot roast or elderberry barbecue sauce i I think that that's always always something i look forward to so that yeah we're going to be moving into berries but that said i was talking to one of my friends who lives in topanga and she gardens she pretty much gets nettles every time she waters so for the people who you know have a house and have a yard you'll probably see a couple of these weeds here and there and then people on the east coast will see these all summer no doubt and canada Mm. and you know these plants apply to large parts of canada some parts of mexico so yeah I was just so shocked when I was doing research for the book. I was looking for some inspiration, and I actually looked up the latitudes that the plants grow in. So I looked up, what are the latitudes that mallow grows in? And that was just really educational, because then I could dig in and be like, oh, yeah, okay, they actually eat this in Morocco, which is in our latitude, or they eat this in this part of Israel. It's true. Oh, wow, they eat this in Buenos Aires. Oh, So that was really interesting to, to uh, research cuisines based on the latitude of where these particular weeds grow. Now, you, you mentioned acorns in passing, and both Kelly and I were uh, privileged to be served <laughs> in a class your acorn sliders, which is a kind of vegetarian burger made from acorns, and uh, yes, they the were... the best veggie burger ever. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank yeah. you. I don't enjoy a veggie burger myself too much, but I, I do think the acorn works in this as a meat substitute, mm-hmm. and it's also, it doesn't require the time commitment and the water resources of cold leaching. You can mm-hmm. actually prepare that pretty simply with hot leaching and um well how does how does that work actually how does hot leaching acorns people who don't may not know acorns have tannins in them they need to be leached before you cook with them they're extremely bitter it's like eating uh 
a green banana times a thousand. It just like takes all the moisture out of your mouth and can't get rid of it. It's like eating a green olive, like a raw olive. Mm. Um, yeah. So in order to extract the tannins from the acorns, you first have to shell them. Don't throw away those shells. You can roast them and use them for tea and other things. So yeah, don't waste anything. Um, you can use them for kindling fire. It smells good. Anyways, so after you shell them, you have the nut itself. And I usually cut that in half. And you're going to leach that. So you're going to take your little pot, go to your sink, fill it with hot water. Make sure it's hot. Then put the acorns in into the hot water. Leach them for 20, 20 to 25 minutes. Pour out the water. Taste one. It's still going to be bitter. You're probably going to have to do this two or three times. And then fill it again with hot water. You don't want cold water to touch your leached acorns because it, I, does, I don't know what the chemical process is, but it, it seizes them and they stay bitter and kind of get chalky. So make sure that when you're leaching, your water throughout the changes is hot. Um, so you're going to do that two or three times, drain the water out, and you'll see the water will take on like a brownish quality and that's all the tannins in the water. Um, one of the, my favorite ways to eat, I guess, acorns is also super, super simple and I just call it my Christmas drink, is after you've leached your acorns, you're going to simmer them in cream or half and half for mm. like low and slow for like an hour. And to that mix, you're going to add a cinnamon stick, a couple cloves of nutmeg, maybe star anise. And the natural fats and starches from the acorns will pull out into the cream. And it's, you know, if, if you want, you can add a shot of brandy. But that's it, the smell of the acorns just permeates that cream. It's just the most oh, amazing smell. That's it, amazing. To me, it's just, just sounds like Christmas, smells like Christmas. There's, you can't describe it. People always try to say, oh, it tastes kind of like a chestnut. It doesn't taste anything like a chestnut. It doesn't taste like any other nut. Acorns have an acorn flavor, period. Mm -hmm. Which you nicely paired in those sliders with, I think it was brand, brandy, brandy too, right? And, yeah, I think well, I put the some sherry in Sherry, there. maybe. Yeah. Sherry, that's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, the eggplant was mainly for the char and the texture mm -hmm. and to soften it up a little bit and I, I don't know if you both of you have tried to you know make like a peanut butter or whatever acorns have a very unique property they're I don't I forget what the word is but they're like oatmeal as much moisture as you give them they will absorb and continue oh. <laughs> to absorb and continue so it's mainly the the eggplant charred eggplant and I, I think I had some oat flour in there that's mainly to keep the texture from being gelatinous or mushy. So yeah, that's one thing to note when you're cooking with acorns is, man, they just absorb so much liquid very mm. quickly. Now, another plant that people may have a lot of is, we already mentioned the seeds, I think of lamb's quarters, right? Or have we? No, yes. We haven't. We did mention that. Yeah. What, what about the leaves? So let's start with that because that's a very common kind of uh, weed in a, in a garden. What, what do you like to do with lamb's quarters? Oh, what what don't you like to do with lamb's quarters? Um, I think when I describe lamb's quarters to people, it, again, it depends on when you pick them. I mean, if you're picking them at the end of their season, when it's very hot, the leaves are going to be bitter, more bitter mm -hmm. than the new, you know, first couple iterations. And I tell people that 
at least during the first couple pickings, that it's like eating spinach without the metallic taste. I think it has such a fresh green flavor to it. So with the leaves, I mean, you're going to use it any way that you would use spinach. But I think one of my favorite uh, ways to use it is I like to make an all-purpose lamb's quarter sauce, which is kind of like my green ketchup. And that, that is my favorite way to use it because you can literally use it on everything to make green eggs and ham um, kind of situation or it can be a quick sauce uh, to a crepe or you know I think that's my favorite way to use it because you're not locked into one dish you're like oh I can use that here and I can use that there I think one of the recipes that I love in the book it's so also really simple like super simple and thrifty is I have a it's called tripa finta which is faux tripe soup I don't know if you guys saw that one but the flavor from the lamb's quarter leaves, it's got like three ingredients, garlic, lamb's quarter, onion, and fresh tomatoes. And you're going to make like a court bouillon or, or a really simple broth out of that. And then to that, you're going to add the faux tripe, which is basically a piece of Parmesan rind that you would normally discard. That oh, you're gonna... I've got a bag full of those in the fridge. <laughs> so, oh, yes. So when you... When you prepare the the rinds you're going to gently boil them in water for I, I forget I have to look at my book how long I boiled them and when you boil them it takes off any excess any wax or any impurities and it when you take it out of the pan it looks exactly like tripe <laughs> and it kind of has that texture and so that umami extreme umami flavor paired with the the lamb's quarter the mineraliness of the lamb's quarter and the, the brightness of the tomatoes and the garlic I, it's just my one of my favorite dishes i use the stems in that too oh i, I want to make that yeah it's so simple and it looks cool and who doesn't you know when when you eat the the parm rinds in that way when you prepare them like that it's kind of like eating firm mozzarella it's so good Mm. but it has that concentrated umami flavor that gives off into the water with the lamb's quarter it's 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 really satisfying and um, simple to make and like I said thrifty there's also more complex lamb's quarter recipes that caught my eye like your beautiful marbled bread oh yeah that was actually pretty simple oh really but then you take the marbled bread and then you make it into savory french toast Oh my god! Why not? I mean, <laughs> so good. I don't know about you, but Pascal and I actually don't eat that much bread. Mm. Even though we have friends, incredible friends, who are incredible artisanal bread makers, we actually don't eat that much bread. So, if you're not going to eat a whole loaf of bread, why not make it into French toast and pair that with some parm or something? Mm. Um, the the bread was actually pretty easy. That the thing about it is, if you're making bread from scratch. You know, you got to allow for rise time and you have to make two different batches, one that's green, one that's not. But other than that, it's it's a pretty simple Asian milk bread recipe that is pretty foolproof. And that, that's why I didn't include maybe a sourdough recipe. This, this bread is pretty foolproof. It's always going to be soft and fluffy. And I've even not measured sometimes. I don't want to say that, but I've even made this bread by eyeballing it. It's it's pretty foolproof, and that's why I put it in there because it, it's it's a nice soft bread, and it's pretty, and yeah, um, it's beautiful. You know, you can as long as you have a, a the correct Pullman loaf pan, it looks great every time, and it's fun. It's that's a, a fun one for kids. Yeah, it's a green and white swirl. To be clear, with uh, so like half of your dough is is green with from the herbs or the the, the, the lamb's quarter, lamb's puree. quarter puree, and then the other half is white, and so like a swirly bunt cake or something. It's it's beautiful. And then the the lamb's thank you, and then the lamb's quarter puree also keeps the bread moist too. Well, um, this is a kind of like a, a 
probing sort of John Stossily type question. Oh, are you going John Stossily? I'm going to go, yeah, yeah, to look out. But uh, well, uh, we were talking about things that are easy, things that are hard. I always wonder what it's like around a food professional's house on a busy week because you know I'm. We're always like, you know, with stuff going on, oh my God, and then we're heating up some crap from Trader Joe's. So (laughs) how do you manage sort of meal prep? Do you have any tips for people? Because, you know, a lot of people are, they have jobs, they have kids, they're ordering, you know, they're they're ordering like Blue Apron and all these other kind of like meal shortcut things. Do you have any tips for kind of basic home economics of, you know, keeping a household in healthy food and... Uh, meal after meal or just maybe another way to put it, it's like how do you guys survive when you're super busy or how do we just come over and eat your food or will you come and feed us <laughs> <laughs> we would love to you know pascal and i used to joke that like you're our we're your doppelgangers on the other side of town because we imagine <laughs> that we do a lot of similar things or we have probably similar schedules you know and it, 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 i know i know how crazy it probably gets in your house in our house there's so many jars of bubbling, fermenting, the jars, the the experiments and the preserves and the thing, beer going, all that stuff is what really lives in the house. And we just live on the outside of the house, but that's, <laughs> that's mainly, you know, there's herbs drying, hanging everywhere. I mean, it's, it gets a little crazy here too. Um, as far as that, I mean, we're no different than most people. I, I there's been a few weeks where, you know, especially, in the spring when it's so busy that yeah i've i've been to trader joe's i hear you <laughs> <laughs> i've done that but for the most part i think the key for us is it's going to sound boring but the things that prevent me from cooking is if i don't have my oils my salts my fats like my staples like that and then then i'm just like ah, i don't have that i'm not going to cook it so it is in part prepping in your you know, and and we have our go-tos. I mean, I'm not opposed to like doing a quick and healthy stir fry, or I love that idea. I didn't invent it. You know, it's been around forever. Is making um, jar salads. So I'll make like six or seven jar salads, like composed layered salads in a mason jar, mm. and then another jar of dressing. And you can just keep grab grab one out of the fridge. Because I, you know, the p- reason people don't eat salads is because you have to chop everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll just make a couple of those in advance. But, um, you know, there's there's no secret. We're like we're like everyone else. When it gets busy, it gets busy. And if we're both doing, you know, we do projects together, but we also do mainly, you know, separate projects too. So when our house is totally crazed like that, it gets crazed like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes all I have, I make a lot of homemade flatbread. Sometimes all I have time for is an egg, maybe a little bit of veg, some homemade hot sauce and a, and a flatbread. That's all I have time for. Tell me about that homemade hot sauce because I'm wondering if, if that's an, another little shortcut or there's some other sauces or, or, or spices. The lamb's quarter all-purpose sauce. Oh, oh there yeah. you go. I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good for you. First of all, it doesn't have like like a lot of junk in it. I mean, you just give that a squirt. But yeah, Pascal is really the hot sauce maker and, you know, Mr. Mr. Hot Sauce. I don't think he eats anything without hot sauce. And he makes, a, you know, different ones from wild food or invasive weed food. Um, and he makes ones that are so incredibly hot, I can't even go there. But yes, I think hot sauce is definitely, definitely barbecue sauce hot sauce if you have like one weekend that you're not doing do yourself a favor make yourself some homemade barbecue sauce and hot sauce because you can pretty much put that on anything 
At least I would. Now, are there any uh, secret recipes you're working on right now that you can share with Root Simple listeners? Some sort of avant-garde new things? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be a secret then. It's not a secret, but I'm I'm always on the quest for making the perfect sauce, like the perfect all-purpose sauce. And I think, you know, and this year I've toyed around. We we had a lot of mushroom, oyster mushrooms, and I made a really good um, mushroom ketchup which, you know, an old-timey mushroom ketchup, which I didn't invent. That's been around. And I'm in love with and fascinated by all of these old British sauces that involve anchovies, mushrooms, and I want to put acorns in there. So my thing that I'm working on is the perfect California sauce that's going to have oyster mushrooms. I have a local fisherwoman who's amazing. who's going to source some anchovies for me and some acorns. I'm going to make some kind of it's going to be amazing i i don't know quite all what's going to be in that it's going to have like it's going to be crazy and have like 21 ingredients and i'm going to do small batch bottles and it's going to be an elixir that you put a couple drops of on something and it transforms it i don't know (laughs) (laughs) sounds wonderful and it has a deep history too you know like the romans had their fish sauce and um you know asian fish sauces and um you have anchovies and I've heard of the the British. Um, there's a there's a YouTube channel with um, 17th century cooking, and they James make Townsend. Yes, do you watch that too? <laughs> of course, I do. I, lo- I love I love that show. Yeah. <laughs> so, is that? Did you make? Was yours like his? I actually found mine. I have a good friend who has cookbooks. She's her family goes way back in California, like five or six generations, and she let me kind of dive into all of her historical cookbooks. Mm-hmm. So I actually found a bunch of different ketchups, like lemon. A, a popular California thing was lemon ketchup. Oh, nice. yeah, which was interesting. It's 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 good. Uh-huh. I. I think I might might have to make another batch of it. It's really good. And um, mushroom ketchup, which maybe they got theirs from, you know, an English cookbook. But these were cookbooks central to the area here that go back a couple of generations. And that's where I got the inspiration for some of these sauces. And I'm so grateful she let me like, and some of them were handwritten by her mother and is crazy. Like she let me look at some, some good vintage stuff, which is a hobby of mine to look, looking at vintage um, recipes. Cause you learn so much from them. Oh. From them. I get so inspired by them. Um, yeah. James Townsend and also two fat ladies. I just love them. Mm. I love their show because their recipes I, I think I watched one episode where she was using sorrel or our curly dock with pickled walnuts and water, like, and that was just food. But everybody here, you know, every chef here would be like, oh my God, that's all foraged. But yeah. it was just a dish she made. Right. And it was so inspiring. Let's move away from Ugly Little Greens um, itself and, and to your larger project, which is transitional gastronomy. Could you describe what transitional gastronomy is? Yeah, transitional Transitional gastronomy is my little nook uh, on the interwebs where I wanted to put, you know, what I do. I, I do food photography and styling and food is art projects. So a place to showcase my art, a place to say, hey, do you want to get together and do some classes? A place to let me help you entertain and create a bespoke event. But it was just my little nook on the web to say, here's here's what I do, Here, you know, here's who I am. If you want to get in touch, that's great. And I've met so many interesting people and collaborators on, you know, some pro bono projects, some art projects. So it's just uh, my little shingle on the web. And, you know, moving forward, I definitely 
am starting to produce some YouTube videos or Vimeo and YouTube videos. That's what's up uh, for the remainder of the summer and next year. It's just organizing that. And I think, you know, I, I'm just basing the content on, you know, you guys probably get, get a lot of messages on Facebook or through your website too. And, you know, the questions that they're asking me, I'm clearly seeing that people are curious to know about our day-to-day life and also like how do you prepare that how long does it take so I just want to kind of illustrate that moving forward and just saying you know don't get intimidated by the picture this literally you can make this in the duration of this video and it's going to be fine and you're going to like it <laughs> it's going to be good so on we'll that look note, forward to that right what's the what's the url for traditional gastronomy and also will the videos be there and what are your other ways people can see what you're doing because i know you're kind of an avid instagram person as well too correct you know what i think i post once every other week oh okay but they're beautiful photos they last Thank you. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i try to post more i think pascal is more the avid Instagram uh, poster. Um, my website is transitionalgastronomy, all one word, dot com. And um, sometimes I, you know, as it gets hotter, I'm not going to be doing as many classes. I've been teaching a couple classes at an urban farm, Cottonwood Urban Farm. Have you heard of that place? On your website, you guys- but we yeah. haven't been there. Yeah, we were wondering uh, where that was. And, yeah. It's in Panorama City. Oh, actually. Anyways, it's an awesome place. The owner of it is, it couldn't be a more perfect human. He's just amazing what he does and how he takes care of this plot of land that's in the middle of the city and how beautiful what he, he's doing is. And so he's just so kind as to kind of let me teach a couple classes there. So as it gets hotter, I'll probably do a few things there because it's getting hot. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get hot. It's getting hot. Are you yeah. going to be traveling anywhere else and doing any classes? Sergio, if you're listening, uh-huh. uh, yes, get it together because uh, hopefully I'm going to go visit one of my friends who's opening a restaurant in Australia. And I would love oh. to take a look at some of the food culture out there. And I, surprisingly, I, in, in our little, all of our food forums and wild crafting forums, I have a lot of Australian friends, as it turns out, so, which is really interesting. And um, so that is in the works for me this year, if I can get some time off to, you know, go help my friend open his restaurant and take a look at some of the, some of the indigenous things there and see what the food culture is over there. I've been to Australia a couple times, but when I was a lot younger, so I, I'm curious to see what the experience is like now. And you're also a caterer, yes, so people can hire you for... Uh, I am. I, I am a caterer. Um, it, again, I do kind of really special bespoke kind of events. Mainly what we've done this year is a lot of corporate events uh, for, you know, larger companies that want to kind of decorporatize. And it's a nice way for them to, you know, they get in touch with us and we kind of immerse them in nature and have them eat things that weren't packaged. And it's fun. And I also, you know, I do, you know, quite a fair bit of pro bono work working with kids who don't have exposure to that type of cooking or those type of ingredients. I like doing that as well. Uh, it was fantastic talking to you. We're yeah. very well, excited I, about this book. And yeah, we're going to, when we got it, we looked at it and we're like, yep, this is a keeper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. So. I just wanted to thank you guys for having me on. And I can't wait to share this with my friends so that they can follow along what you do. And I mean, I, I am a fan of everything you do. I was just just finished reading the Clear Ice 
thing. Uh, I have tried that before, and it was successful, but only like halfway up. I think I need a. I think I need a smaller cooler <laughs> for my well, freezer. Yeah, it's a small cooler, but yeah. there was some controversy about that. Some people, some people were saying, "Well, you should just boil water or something," and that right, it's the do same. Right, from hot water. Yeah, hot water. Have you tried that one? Yeah, it does, but you still get. Same like the cooler, you still get like a certain percentage that's cloudy. Oh, okay. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as harangued about cloudy ice as other people. <laughs> 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 I'm okay with it. <laughs> Life yeah, is short. Okay. <laughs> it's just we had a little cooler, and it's a six pack cooler. Yeah, six pack cooler. Basically. Yeah, that work seems to yeah. work. Yeah. It was pretty. It was actually really easy to do. Yeah, good to yeah. know. All right, Rumiya. Well, thanks so much for, for being on the Root Simple Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing you guys out on the trail. That was Mia Wasilevich. You can find her website at transitionalgastronomy.com. She is also Transitional Gastronomy on Facebook. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for supporting this podcast. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcast automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple Podcast through our Patreon campaign or through a one-time PayPal donation. You can find those links on the right side of our blog, which is rootsimple.com. You can also purchase one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 